0: Today I welcome Nicholas Hewlett, Headmaster at St Dunstan's College in the UK. In this episode I discuss LGBTQ plus stereotyping, what inclusion should mean in education, reflecting true diversity in schools and why 21st century education needs liberal thinking. You were in the news for telling your pupils in assembly that you were openly gay and in a loving same-sex marriage. Are you surprised that this has never happened before, even in 2021? Now, i'm hugely hugely surprised
1: i'm hugely surprised by the fact that it hasn't happened already i'm hugely surprised by the enormity of the media coverage now i've had correspondence from australia from new york um, and, and and everywhere in between it, it, it has taken me hugely by surprise it's been overwhelming frankly and i and i think that we need to take stock of that and we need to sit up and say actually wh- why is that Why why has that happened why in 2021 has this caused such big news in the way that it has? And I think, you know, that there is an element to which it's a, it's a good news story in the middle of, of, of a very difficult situation for the world, and I can understand that, but it's definitely more than that. And I think we need to ask questions of ourselves. I think we need to ask questions of society, I and mean, I think we need to ask questions of our sector as to why it has become big news in the way that it is, because it wor- it worries me that it has become big news. Although, having said that, of course, it's also been very very moving to to see the impact that it's had on people
0: yeah and has it all been positive um, reactions Um, because again when you you put yourself out there um, you know it's 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 very easy for it to go either way you know there'll be lots of people that that support you and I hope the majority have been but have you had any any kind of detractors and trolling or anything negative come from it so I've had hundreds of emails hundreds
1: to deal with um and and all bar three have been absolutely delightful supportive um not just supportive of me but actually just very grateful that 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 message is is out there um and many talking about how if 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 this had been a situation for them when they were at school that their life would have been fundamentally different and fundamentally improved and that's a that's a wonderful thing to be able to hear so that, you know, you, you do feel like you may well be having a tangible impact on, on the next generation of children. But no, other than, than two or three pieces of, of unpleasant mail, um, nothing, nothing other than support and gratitude.
0: Yeah. So it's been a really positive um, reaction from your local community, your, your, your parents, your, your students, obviously your teachers and, they, you know, and also your, your, your very local, local community. It's all been good.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, really positive. I, I would say that the, the, the only distinction there is with the students who, who I I mean, I meet with the, the prefects every week and and their reaction was just one of amusement. They just couldn't understand it at all. I mean, they, they really wanted me to try and explain to them why. What, why is this news? They, yeah. they they just couldn't get their head around that at all. What Why would it make the papers in the way that it did? And so I had to give them a bit of social history and explain to them, you know, what yeah. it was like in the in the 90s and what Section 28 was and, and what that meant for, for school environments and therefore what it means for their parents' generation. Mm. So, I mean, other than that, and, 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 you know, it's not only bemusement. I had some students write to me to, to thank me very, very sincerely for the help that it had provided for them and, and, and their own kind of, in a backwards.
0: So, I mean, 10 years ago, there were only really four letters commonly used to kind of group various sexual and gender minorities, LGB and T, These letters were an evolution towards inclusion, an expansion of the language used to represent a disparate group that had often just been called, obviously, the gay community. Despite their intent, these letters proved to be limiting. So times and attitudes obviously changed, and as a result, the established LGBT abbreviations acquired a few extra letters um, and a cluster of ancillary terminology around both sexuality and gender. So your assemblies around LGBTQ+, what does that really mean? Yeah so I mean I'm, I'm totally anti
1: pigeonholing in general terms anyway particularly with the young I think it's a disaster frankly to start pigeonholing young people and, and one of the trends that I've been totally against in the education sector and it, and, it, and it has worried me is where heads have kind of latched on to a Sort of tokenistic liberal view that that actually you're going to champion a young person's sexual identity for for for, for what for what benefit for, for for the benefit of the institution i would say certainly over and above the benefit of the child so i i'm i'm really not a fan of this kind of pigeonholing culture and and, and therefore i'm not an enormous fan of the letters frankly i mean i think that that sexual identity is um increasingly recognized as being a very fluid construct rightly so. Um, and, and and with that fluidity comes uh, or needs to come a kind of um, a, a, an understanding that we can embrace all types of different sexual identity, and in particularly for young and in particular for young people, that they should feel absolutely empowered to navigate their way through that without having to commit to one form of identity or another. And I think there is a real risk when we start to bring in letters and and quite kind of contained. Um, uh, pigeonholes for that for those particular sort of sexual uh, groups of sexual identity that actually children could feel quite sort of shackled by that and, and I think that's a real wrong we need to we need to be saying to children that actually there that there is a fluidity to this that that growing up is is a journey for you it's a journey of exploration and it's absolutely fine to to explore that at different points of your growing up to, to take a decision to, to change your mind on that decision that's all absolutely all part of it um so i have some i do have some reservations about i understand why society finds it neater yeah to compartmentalize people um but actually life isn't as straightforward as that i'm sorry it's just not it's complex yeah and and, and we need to move from a position of society just thinking it's a that you're either in this category or you're in that category you're either heterosexual or you're gay you know these are the two broad stereotypes So actually it's not as straightforward as that and we we need to move society to that position of being even more open-minded in its thinking
0: yeah and no, i completely agree You know and where do you then draw the line when it comes to to, to pigeon race and everything else because everything then can become a label and actually it's about the human and i think this is you talked about your pupils um who are kind of bemused, and I think that's right. You know, you think back 20 years ago, and in a recent assembly, you told the story of Martin Preston, who was outed, or was ridiculed in the press for his sexuality, you know, and that was just 20 years ago. It does appear we've come a long way, but have we really done enough so far, and are we doing enough to support inclusion um, and to talk about it?
1: I mean, we have come on... reasonably long way I don't think we've come on a hugely long way if I'm being absolutely honest I mean the fact that the fact that the story was there last week in the way it was tells you that we haven't come on that far the fact that when I started teaching which wasn't that long ago the section 28 was still in in place not only that but there were teachers at that school who were very very clear with me that they absolutely subscribed to that policy absolutely subscribed. teachers who will still be teaching today So and that was in you know only as you know it was only abolished in 2003, Um, and and so you know it's been a very very short period of of movement to get to the point today where here we are having this conversation. I I think as a nation we have moved on. I think as a sector we have moved on to an extent, but I I I fear that although there's a lot of um, there are a lot of there's a lot of good sentiment towards liberalism and inclusivity. Um, And there are some great initiatives and there are some people who are genuinely doing some really good things. But actually, if you pick away at it, I think under the surface, there is a deep seated conservatism that runs very, very deep in our sector.
0: Agreed. And and beyond the sector. And I think it's tokenism. A lot of the time it's, you know, people want to be seen to be doing, you know, the thing that's in the headlines. And, you know, they reacted, but in a tokenist way. And that isn't progressive, you know, and that's not sustainable and actually doesn't really help. Um, And you speak a lot about the importance of liberalism. Um, And I've obviously had a lot of conversations with the independent school heads who are, as you say, very conservative. Um, What are your experiences and is the sector becoming more liberal and progressive or not really?
1: I, I'm just, I, I think there's some good rhetoric. I think there's some good intention. I think there are some schools that are doing really, really good things. However, I think the sector has an enormously long way to go. Um, I just, I'll put a few few ideas out there. Why do we still have a situation, particularly in the independent school sector, where governing bodies up and down the country as part of the selection procedure for heads, are still interviewing spouses? What other sector does that happen in, and why are we doing it? What are they trying to gain? What are they trying to gain from bringing the spouse into the selection process, other than trying to eke out some form of reassurance that the personal life of the head that they're about to appoint is satisfactory to them? Because I can't, I can't understand why that has any purpose in an objective 21st century selection process for a member of an executive team. And, and I know that is still happening. Why, why do I, when I'm being inducted to be a head in the independent sector, why did I get a letter saying that my wife was welcome to join um, an, induct, uh, an induction session for wives? You know, what, why is that still happening in 21st century Britain? Why do we have schools where, uh, independent schools and, and state schools as well, where um, boys aren't allowed to, to wear earrings, where haircuts have to conform to a, to a certain type? What, why, is that, why is that still going on in 21st century Britain? Because, because all of those things are essentially saying that there is, a, there is a normative type that we as educators believe is right. And, and this notion that somehow, uh, and let's take sexual identity, that, some, that somehow a differing sexual identity is acceptable as a sort of eccentric role within a broader normative um, set of values is is outdated and utterly wrong. But that is, uh, you know, my view is that somehow schools still um, see themselves as a kind of bastion for conservative values. I think at their absolute worst, there's a kind of colonial underpinning that's still going on. This idea of a kind of conveyor belt education, where we've been educating young men and young women for 150 years and they've all come out looking the same and sounding the same and thinking the same and being the same. and um, Hence why we have such strict rules over what they need to look like and, uh, and, what the, and how they need to think and what their identity should be. It's still going on. And, and frankly, it's, it's appalling. And we, we absolutely need to move away from it as a sector. But we need to ask ourselves some very honest questions about why these things are still going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, 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 we've talked in the past about the future of education and the, the need for transformational change. We've sat in uh, at conferences, um, you know, and it, it, it does sometimes feel like the old boys club um, and, you know, and, and, and the big get together of, uh, of, of networking, but, but no real progression. Um, so no I mean it's it, this, this, this sense of stereotyping as well um, and changing education so our, our kids actually are, are more fit for purpose sorry the education is more fit for purpose for our children is more important than the the traditions of the past or the history so much that we hold on to as a way of uh, I think spoon-feeding education that's still very outdated I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast we're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I want to get back to that, the, the young people because the, the generation that, that you obviously bringing through um, your doors um, every single year um, they, they, they're very adaptive, um, forward-thinking, um, they are liberal, they're open-minded, they're, they're frankly quite, quite incredible as a generation. Um, do you think that young people are comfortable with being themselves yet, or are they still forced down into the, the views of what society thinks they should be, parents, school, education?
1: I think that landscape is very different from where it was. Um, I, I think there are many ways in which they can be more comfortable with who they are. I mean, sexual identity being one of them. Um, but but it's it, there are other challenges. Um, and, and in particular, the social media um, globalization challenge means that identity has has kind of taken on a different guise it 's not so much about uh, the barrier of sexual identity, but there 's certainly a kind of idealized version of what identity might look like and, and I think that kind of aspirational um, uh, inundation of, of, of what success looks like through the, through through virtual media is something that I imagine is, well, I know, is very, very hard for young people to try and navigate and, and therefore to be truly comfortable with who they actually are. So although I think that the challenge has changed, I think it's developed in many ways, in many ways for the better, I think it, it remains very difficult. In a sense, of course, it's always going to be difficult for a young person because you are growing up. And and that phase of, of both physical and, and emotional development is always going to be a challenge for a young person. I don't think that's ever going to stop. Um, But I think the 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 challenge
0: has changed. Um, And what would you say to young people or to a young person who's asking questions of themselves, and don't feel necessarily supported in the the school, the environment they're in?
1: Yeah, funny enough, I was doing a student podcast yesterday, and the the students asked me the same question. I think half the battle with this is is being okay with the fact that you're thinking the way you're thinking, and 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 that it's okay to be you um and kind of getting over that on an individual basis first both by by thinking about that by reconciling that with yourself by speaking with people you trust um and and talking it through and thinking it through and 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 understanding the fact that it is okay to be you i think coupled with that it's also okay not to commit to that identity at this particular point in time and it's something i've already mentioned but i do think that's very important that you don't have to fix in your identity at 14 years old you absolutely do not have to do that and that's okay too if if after all of that kind of self-reflection and speaking with people you trust actually there's still a barrier there to you being open about your identity sexual identity or otherwise i think it's about really thinking through the 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 cause of those barriers i mean every situation is very very different um the, the young Are very fortunate that there are a lot of groups out there a lot of charitable groups who they can speak with and really talk through the the particular situation of their circumstance and why it's particularly challenging for them to be open and honest with their with their loved ones and i would really encourage young people to do that because it it is still a very sensitive area society is is not settled it's not settled and it's and it and it, it it oscillates frankly quite wildly between um, uh, uh, different different views on on this matter, so I think really talking it through and thinking it through is, is essential.
0: Yeah, and, and with all this going on, and you know, b- b- being a, being a teenager is is, is always been difficult. Um, I, I and I think every generation you look you, you look at the the trailing generation, and and you're kind of quite glad and that you're not actually part of that generation because of the 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 added. Um, difficulties. I think the twenty-four-seven, three-six-five media that certainly my kids um, face right now, and mental health is is again another topic that gets it gets a lot of headlines. Schools are trying to understand this more and offer more support when it comes to the mental well-being of our of our kids. Um, but again, I do think that a lot of schools, it's a tokenism. It's, it's a side of going, well, we're going to offer these programmes really, without really understanding how to um, really support the mental well-being and, the, and what our children need. And, you know, look back over the last 12 months particularly, you know, this has been exaggerated uh, and compounded with lockdown, remote learning. Um, and I've certainly got a, a real kind of concern with, you know, where our mental strength of our kids is going to come from when we come out of this what are your thoughts on mental health and what should we be doing more as a sector um, to support our children so I think the
1: sector well I think firstly that the absolute key to ensuring high quality mental health is in being okay with you and being comfortable with you, being okay and comfortable with your identity and being able to talk openly and freely with those around you about your identity, the concerns that you have um, and to, to ensure a kind of culture of, of transparency in that area. I, I, think there are, I think as a sector, we've got much better at reactive pastoral care we, we are much better at doing that you know the links in with um, uh, bringing in counsellors and psychotherapists and because because in particular independent schools can throw resource at it they've set up great centres and drop-in points and all the rest of it which is all very good and and so much better than it was you know when i was at school in the 90s i think that where everyone well not everyone but where, where people generally are, are missing a trick is actually at the, at the other end of that spectrum which is looking at that really low level proactive interventionist care and how as a a school community everybody is on top of those really low level signs of of a child being um, uh, under pressure or or, or in, in not a great place so that interventionist action can take place at a very very early point And that's something we've been really driving at St Dunstan's is this idea that actually it's far too late. By the time a child gets to a point where they're in with a psychotherapist, it's too late. We should have acted much, much sooner than that. And it's how do we train staff and also pupils to be picking up on those really, really low-level signs, and how do we ensure two elements of this? How do we ensure we have the structures in place? And we've looked, a lot, we've looked a lot at how technology can support us with this, to ensure that we pull together those low-level concerns, so that people can then act on it very clear, very quickly. Um, and also, how do you ensure that you have a culture as an institution? where people know to look out for those low level concerns and know how to report it, know how to communicate it so that we can pick up at it and deal with it before it becomes a big deal. And then my final point would be that I do think cultures in school are kind of critical for this, which is and why I feel very lucky to have such a diverse school because I think actually having a a culture of inclusivity and um, having a school which is so diverse that we, you know, huge different range of, of, of cultures and, uh, and race and uh, in every way, actually enables you to to create a pupil body who can both respect themselves and their own identity, but also respect the identity of others and learn to respect it and learn to understand it. And by by generating that culture, which is why I'm just such a, a key advocate for for libertarian values more broadly. Um, actually, you will create a healthier, a mentally healthier society.
0: Yeah, and I mean, do you think mental health is is just become a bigger problem, or it's just been something, again, that was never really addressed and and swept under the carpet? Um, I think I've, I've often thought about
1: that point, and I think it's really difficult to say with any certainty what what the answer is to that. I, I think that the the globalised social media world in which we in which our young people occupy, we occupy, um, does um, create a very unique set of challenges that weren't there 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and I think that there is no doubt that that does generate higher levels of, of mental health challenge than that, that was the case. Having said that, there was without doubt an enormous amount of mental health challenge in the 1990s. I mean, one of the reasons why you don't have many openly gay heads is because people are still traumatized by their, by their education in the 1990s, where, where frankly, it was made very clear that it was totally wrong, that you weren't going to be successful if you were, a, to, to, to use sexual identity again, but if you were a, were a gay man, you, you were not going to be successful in life. Um, So people are still traumatised by that childhood experience. So mental health still existed in those days, but I agree with you, it wasn't tackled well. Having said that, I do think that this generation do have a very unique set of challenges, which are compounded by the world they occupy.
0: Yeah, and you know, social media. um, You know, kids, and particularly teenagers, have always, you know, it's it's a sense of belonging, and you know how to ensure that esteem is is kept high, that they have it, and that's boys and girls. And, you know, n- knowing what actually the, the, the values are that, that you need to um, adhere to or apply to your lives is very, very difficult because of what you see and how you see the rest of the world. You know, when you look at the Instagrammers, the YouTubers, you know, the, a lot of the, um, the, the boys following the gamers, right? It's, it's, it's probably bigger than most social media gaming, yet we don't really focus on that in terms of mental health. But I see that in my, in my own children. I, I see too much, too much contact time online, whatever it is, is not good for them. So isn't there a bigger role here that schools need to support parents and educate parents? Because parents, you know they're up to here with, with, with everything, and particularly now with homeschooling, um, you know, trying to juggle jobs, trying to juggle everything else, it's become really difficult. So what could schools be doing to support parents? to yeah. enable a, a better environment to to help their I children. I think there's a couple
1: of things I'd like to pick up on firstly that point about students and, and the education of the students because because it, it really does lie up in, in them taking really um, important life choices in their relationship with social media and I, I, I one of my worries about education the direction of travel with education is that we have become increasingly obsessed with a knowledge-based curriculum um, which is to the detriment of a skills-based curriculum and that never used to be the case I mean, you, take, you turn the clock back 400 years it never used to be a knowledge driven curriculum to the extent that it has become which is you know I'm, i i hold i think that gcse's play a really bad role in this but but it, it, i think we have to say to ourselves that actually as a society we owe it to young people to drive forward a skills-based agenda um you know one of the things that we've introduced at st Dunstan's now is, is something called skills for life which is a taught course an hour a week where we teach them these skills. We teach them their relationship with, with, with social media. We teach them about conflict resolution. We teach them about pornography. And pornography is a very good, good example um, of, of the world that they now occupy, which is, which is the immediacy of accessing pornographic material and idealized um, relationship with sexual activity that kicks in at a very, very early point and sets up, frankly, sets up a generation for a kind of constant disappointment. Um, and that I think is, a, if you don't actually tackle that overtly in schools, I mean, they're doing it in, in, in Scandinavia, but they're not, we're not doing it over here. We're not really teaching um, uh, sexual pleasure and relationships in particular with, with, with pornography, which I think is a huge, huge issue for young people. So, so I think there's a kind of whole piece about how we're educating children and pulling them away from a knowledge based curriculum and really ensuring that we have a healthy skills based Um, uh, learning dimension to the kind of framework within our schools but your point about parents is absolutely valid absolutely valid and we've you know we've done a lot of work on this looking at parent conferences but also parent networking events so that we can bring together parents who have been through it with with younger parents I think at schools we'd spend a lot of time saying oh we're bringing in the year seven parents and see how they're all doing Actually, it, you, you'd be far better off bringing in the year seven parents with the year 12 parents. You know, they, they've been through it. They, they've got something to say about, yeah. about the, the, the troubles of, of the teenage years. So why are we not having dialogue between these different groups of parents who've lived and breathed it and seen it all before? So you know, for me, it's, it's uh, one of the areas that I think we're, we're sort of getting wrong a bit is it, it can come across as quite preachy. You know, who's Nick Hewlett to stand up in front of a load of parents? And I don't even have kids of my, my own. So who am I to stand up and tell them how to educate their children? But what I can do is I can facilitate events and I can facilitate dialogue where parents can learn from one another. And I can guide it and I can steer it within the principles of what we're also teaching the children. And I think that's probably the future in this area.
0: I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, parents, uh, pa- parents learn from other parents um, because, you know, we're, we're often told, you know, I've, my eldest my is nearly 18 um, you know, and when she went through her early early teens, you know, we we, we, we couldn't see an endpoint. You know, of, um, you know, she 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 um, displayed all the typical signs of a of a thirteen fourteen year old girl, and it was only other parents going they will get through it you won't you can't see it now you have to you have to burden this 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 pain this anger this frustration that you might have but it's just her way and I'm afraid they will come out of it Um, and that and that was hugely hugely um powerful to us actually because you can't see it when you're in your own lens and you see it Um, I mean I'm about to go through it again with my second daughter thankfully I've got a 16 year old son who, who, who seems to have missed that whole that whole period um, so maybe that, that bit's a delayed, a delayed period I'm going to get with him um, but yeah le- learning I think and, sh- and you facilitating that as a school I think is really uh, a great initiative and uh, I hope more schools take up that as an idea you can connect with me on Twitter Instagram and via LinkedIn remember keep inspiring schools we need more future school thinking now